And this was really the only time that he showed some regret. And he's, he was crying and he said, uh, I've had such a wasted life. I've contributed nothing. And uh, that, that was my, the saddest point. I'm Michelle Edwards. I'm the author of a novel called Chronicle of Endings, but I want to continue the conversation. It's a conversation about the different endings we face across the course of our lives and ultimately about all the beginnings that open up after. I want to speak to men because men don't always have the place or the permission to talk openly about their difficulties the way women do. But I want to speak to women too because we are all the same human beings trying to navigate the same universal human experiences. Mostly, through these interviews, I want to have the opportunity to speak directly and openly with you. Each guest's experiences will allow you to reflect on your own about the endings you have faced and the ones you are yet to face, the mindset and actions which brought these people through their difficult times will, in turn, speak to you about your own. Because whether it's a novel, a podcast, or just two mates finally speaking about things that matter over a beer, words, words have the power to change people, to change their lives, to change yours. So, can we talk? Hi everyone, this is Michelle. I just wanted to take a moment to jump on here and thank each and every one of you for listening. I really love bringing these episodes to you and I hope that you take away a little something from each one of them. Today I chat with Judith who was a high school teacher and speaks to us about losing her husband from cancer. What that journey was like for them both and also the book that she wrote afterwards which was a children's book called Periwinkle's Chair and I know for me this story really made me think about my life and my legacy and my partner and what it would be like to lose him so I hope that this gives you a moment to think about your own life too And as always, I love to chat to you. You can reach me on Instagram at m.edwards.writer. I welcome you all to DM me or just follow along. So let's jump into the episode. Okay, Judith, hi. Would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Judith Zeilinger, and I live in South Bend, Indiana. So, Judith, why don't you let us know about your ending? 
what was it? Okay, my, I had, I've had many endings in my life, but the most significant ending was the loss of my husband, Neil. Yeah. And uh, it was shocking and it was life-changing and it was a lot of things. Yeah. And how, how many years ago was this? It was in 2015. 2015. He passed away in 2015. Yeah. So what was the situation behind his passing away? Uh, he had back in 20 months before he passed away, he was having trouble swallowing. And so, of course, we are the type that would go on Google and, and oh, you have a hiatal hernia, but he went for a test and the doctor came in and said, I don't have very good news for you. Um, we found a lesion in his esophagus. So um, we had, it was, it was a long journey to figure out how it began and how we didn't know he had GERD, acid reflux. Um, it was surprising that we didn't have the information um, often with esophageal cancer, um, by the time it's identified, it's very much advanced. So we did all the research we could on it and followed all the doctor's advice and with treatments and that sort of thing. And, uh, so that's how it began his journey. I'm not surprised that you didn't pick up on the warning signs, because I don't think anybody really would be aware unless it was something that they had or someone around them had faced. Uh, well, he, he probably, he had had heartburn a long time and was probably just so used to it that he didn't realize that he had this Barrett's esophagus that had the potential to turn to cancer. Um, often I, I mean, the research I have done because I've been in contact with the esophageal cancer awareness network. And a lot of times people mask it by taking products like for acid, for heartburn when their problem is much deeper than that. Throat clearing. One thing they said was throat clearing is a big red flag. Well, whenever he would clear his throat, I would ask, why do you keep clearing your throat? Well, you know, I have my father's sinuses. He went regularly to the doctor. He was faithful. He was a healthy eater. Everyone used to joke that he, all he ate was nuts and berries. So due to that, we, we had no idea. We were gobsmacked by it. Um, when we got the news, it, it came as a complete surprise. Yeah. So your first, the first diagnosis that he received, it wasn't cancer. Was it, was it cancer or something else? It was, it was, it was a lesion uh, in, on his esophagus. So then we had to go to further uh, treatment, uh, further exploration at the University of Chicago. And then they realized the severity of it. And so then the course of treatment started with um, radiation and then a course of chemo. And they decided that 
he should have an esophagectomy. His best chance of survival was to have an esophagectomy, which is to take part of the stomach and part of the esophagus and reconnect them. So we were hoping, hope upon hope, that we might be one of the lucky ones that could survive such a traumatic um, surgery. And so he was always very hopeful. He, the, he didn't, he was a fighter. He did not give up. He didn't want to hear anything but good news. He didn't want to, he, he just wanted to be hopeful. And for the rest of us, he didn't show any panic or that sort of thing. He went about his business. He, he did still did the things he loved to do and never complained. And so do you feel that that was his genuine response or do you feel like he was trying to be positive and hopeful for the people around him? Well, he was a very great leader and a very wise man. So I think he, he didn't complain because he didn't want to alarm us. Um, he felt it was his fight. He was, you know, independent of how we were feeling. He, he kept it all inside and, and just um, pretty much had it, was a happy person. He wanted to seem like his old self for our sake. And um, he did a very good job of that. I mean, there was humor. We could still laugh and in the darkest of moments, um, we were still able to function somehow. And that was his wish. Well, that's all you can do, really. How old was he when he received this diagnosis? He was 63 and had never really, never been sick in a day, a day in his life. He, he had no health problems, was in very good shape, was very active. And uh, he worked in his garden and, you know, he was just, he would, he would work his full shift and then come home and work six hours in the garden until dark. Just uh, a very active man. And so when he was struck down with this, it was, it was hard for him to not do those things. But thankfully, his gardening was something he could do. And his garden became the most beautiful place in town. And he was even asked to participate in a garden walk. Um, and we had hundreds of people come through our garden. Um, and that was his, he had one more summer of his garden. So he, he made it great. <laughs> Do you think he decided to embrace life a little bit more after he found out a bit about this diagnosis or did he just try and stick to life as normal? Um, he started reading a lot about history and lamented, I should have gone to university. I'm kind of digging this. You know, he, he found ways to occupy his mind and uh, also deal inwardly with what he was facing, but he was a good scout about it all. You know, he wouldn't, he didn't want us to, at, at one point in the hospital, um, 
I had gone to get a coffee and I came back and they had just taken off an, a ventilator and he was slipping away. So I screamed and said, come, you gotta come. He's not breathing, come. So they reinserted the, uh, they intubated him again. And when I went home that night, he wrote down on a paper, why did you do that? And I said, he said, it was my time to, it's my time to go. You've had enough. And I said, it's not your call. It's God's call. So we had him for a while after that. And then when he came home, we had eight days of really happiness and laughter and love. And so that eight days, had he gone, we wouldn't have had that. My sister put uh, bushes out. It was winter, but she put bushes on the back deck with flowers on them. And we had the big fire on the back deck and his bed was there. And so those the last eight days were the most precious of all. And we're so glad we didn't miss those. The celebration of life. It was. It truly was. How do you think he, as a husband and you as a wife, both settle into a mindset that prepares you for his death? We never talked about that, but... One day he was, we were working outside and, and this was really the only time that he showed some regret and he's, he was crying and he said, uh, I've had such a wasted life. I've contributed nothing. And, uh, that, meant, that was my, the saddest point in his journey was that moment. Yeah. And I tried to assure him, I said, are you serious? I mean, uh, you're such a loving person and people are drawn to you and, and no one, when they meet you, would ever forget you. And you've given so much for all of us and anybody that you met over time. I wish you wouldn't feel that way. And uh, so that was dealing with that part. I always thought about that, that he had regrets and, and yeah. What, what in that moment did he feel that he should have done to have had a more purposeful life? I think he, pro he felt as though he didn't learn enough. He didn't learn enough and use his gifts as much because he, he was just a worker and he had a beautiful garden, but the flowers die in winter. You know, then he starts all over again. But um, I think he just really felt like he hadn't used the gifts that God had given him to really make a... Um, major contribution 
There is so much that we learn, though, in life that doesn't come from university. And there is so much that we contribute that's not uh, from a university education or is not from our vocation. There, there is our vocation is the means by which we live not the purpose for us. It's not who we are. Yeah, exactly. It's what we do. Yeah. Right. Who we are is a whole different matter. And it would be really nice when people get asked the question of who they are if they said things other than their vocation or their parental status and things like that because we all are so unique and beautiful and we all contribute so much to the people around us and to life in this world. And he was a poet. In, in, the, in the book, there's one of his poems called Eternal Spring. He wrote it he, after his, his uh, first wife passed away. And so uh, 20 years later, it's in his book. That's very poignant. Yes, and it was a published poem that he sent to the National Library of Congress and they accepted it for publication. So he had, and he was a painter and he was, I mean, he was so many things that he didn't recognize as, as such, you know, he just thought he was mediocre. He always felt mediocre. I think that's a trap that a lot of people can fall into. Now he's an author. I say, I am not the author of this. I'm just the steward of it. I'm the steward of his story. At what point did you decide to start documenting this? Well, I always, I photographed him a lot in his garden and working on projects and and I wanted to document him refurbishing the chair because I thought my granddaughter would benefit from that when she was born because she was um, she was about to be born during his illness. So I wanted that documentation for her in photographs. So that's really how the story began. Yeah, and so you have put together this book just to explain of your late husband's work restoring a chair for his soon-to-be-born granddaughter. Um, And the book uh, documents his legacy through this chair. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Well, I think... um... He, he found it on the side of the road and he kept driving by it and finally said, oh, to heck with it, I'm going to bring it home. And he was thinking of our granddaughter and yeah, wouldn't that be a nice thing? But there were so many layers of it in my mind because it was taking something and bringing it back to life. So it was a, I felt it was sort of a healing thing too, where he was, healing the chair as he was attempting to heal himself. So 
there was all of that. And, uh, and then she was born and, uh, of course she's six now. Um, so she will not grow up to know him, but now she has this symbol of him and, uh, of his love. So yeah, it's powerful. Yeah. At what, at what point did you decide to write this children's book around the chair? in legacy of your husband? Well, um, I think I changed a lot um, from this. It was transformative for me. And I believe it may be a better teacher. And so we did many projects. My, my, my lesson units looked very different after this. Like, for instance, we did... Uh, um, a unit where we talked about uh, they all had to write when I get to the end of my life, how will I be remembered? So to get that out of a 16 to 18 year old who think they're going to live forever, some of them were very deep. Some of them were um, superficial. Some of them really thought about it. How will people remember me? So then I wanted them to think about your daily walk and what do you do for others? And, and then we did another project on gratitude. Let's call parents. So we had this open thing where everybody got their cell phones out and they called their parents or they called their grandparent to thank them for all they do for them and for giving them such a, giving them such a great life and, and, uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. It was just very real. Before Neil's passing, would I have come up with that idea? I'm not sure. Because I think it exposed a part of me that made me vulnerable. And which was a great thing. Because it, I mean, my students benefited from it. And perhaps they won't forget that lesson about gratitude and and another another project we did was to take this little bus and drive within two square miles of our school and go to all the businesses and thank people for their service to us and it was called a light in our community and when the students went to those places of business they became the light we were saying all the lights are out in the community, but we are actually the lights because we brightened their day because we said thank you. So I guess um, the project Tell Me a Story, Grandmother, was the, was the culmination of all of that, where I wrote the prototype for the book as a sample for my students and made a PowerPoint with pictures and that's how Periwinkle's chair was born, was from the classroom. I imagine that losing your husband like that would be so transformative and you really have to stop and think yourself, how do I move forward in life without him? How do I see life now knowing how quickly it can be lost and how do I contribute and what is my legacy 
and it really makes you, it would be a really strong point of self-reflection. Right, you, you want to leave uh, a part of you behind that um, has impacted others. It doesn't have to be a book. It doesn't have to be a great painting. And I think from this, I tell people that prepare it, prepare an object, prepare something because we never know. Um, I mean, you look at the pandemic and so many people were taken so quickly. There was no time for preparation. There was no time for anything. So I think to, to really think hard about it, to make sure that you have something prepared in a way, in, in the smallest thing, a, a hanky of a grandmother, or I want so-and-so to have this. I want so-and-so to have this, this chair or, or this, my favorite teacup, you know, just to, just because we owe it to them. So in those weeks and months after you lost your husband, how did it, how did it feel to try and move through that grief into a more um, optimistic perspective? Well, I really threw myself into my work and my, my students took his place. And so you know, their affection and um, their affection and their love for me and my love for them really kept me going. And uh, how long after his passing did this book come into existence? Well, um, interestingly enough, when the I retired one week before the schools were shut down for COVID and I just happened to go on LinkedIn and thought, I'm going to put my feelers out there, see if there's any artists that might want to help me with this. So three responded and finally my wonderful and lovable Cheryl Cook, who is the court sketch artist for the Chicago Tribune. She said, I don't normally do this, but I'll take a look at it. So we became fast friends and with the quarantine was a blessing for us because we did this over the last months, of, over the months of the pandemic. We threw ourselves into it and and it turned out beautifully. She's a beautiful artist. I couldn't have hoped for the treasure she's made for so, us, you know. Yeah. So what is your goal with the book? Um, being the teacher that I am, I like the idea of it uh, being used in libraries for um, a junior group to, to write about a grandparent, what you love about them, grandparents that you still have, but write about them 
and draw a picture of them so that you always have it and really reflect on their goodness and and what they give you and funny things about your relationship write down a funny joke they told or something like that where they have a record and keep it so you'll always have it so it's both the legacy and remember them in the moment because life is so unpredictable yes and what what does life in future look for you now well this is not my last book this was my i can do it book i'm not afraid to write and uh, I'm not going to write about deceased people. I have lots of things up here that I moved to the country, so that's a beautiful thing. And uh, so I have a couple of ideas for moving forward. Um, I'm going to be marketing my book to to groups and grandparents and it's written in my granddaughter's voice, so it's meant for children, but so many people love it just because it, it's true and also that it's just a lovely book. But I'm, I will be writing again. Yeah. Well, that is a really beautiful new beginning and a whole new chapter for you and your life. Yes, and starting over at my ripe age, is often tricky, but I'm optimistic. Yeah. Well, you know, you should be. And what have you got to lose, really? Right, the fear. Yeah. Lose the fear. I, I was afraid at first, and I thought, oh, it's too sad. Nobody wants to read that. But it's, it's a fact of life. And how early is too early to talk to children about dying? Um, we lose pets and that sort of thing, but to actually read about someone that's gone through this, and it's great for my granddaughter and now grandson that they know their grandpa and that he has an everlasting love for them. You know, it doesn't, just because they go away, doesn't mean the love's gone, it's, it'll always be there. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story with us and thank you for writing this book to help other people to use as a resource for children to speak more about death because you're right it, it happens and sometimes um, it is really hard to find a way to speak to children about it and help them to reconcile a loved one who has passed so thank you thank you for having me I was, I was very nervous and everything, but you made it so easy and relaxed so I could, you know, get my ideas across and not get, fall apart. <laughs> like, like you just said, a lot of people don't do things because they're scared to do them, but you do it even though it's scary and you realize it's fine and you can do it perfectly well. It is, it is the same for many, many things in life that we could do, um, but we let fear hold us back.
And, and people uh, will say to me, oh, it's so lovely that you wrote this for him to honor him. And I don't really see it that way. Um, I see it as it's his story. Um, I didn't do it for him. He did it for me more so. That, that's a beautiful legacy. Thank you. Thank you very much, Judith. Have fun at the beach. Please share this story with anyone you feel may benefit from hearing it. Or if you or someone you know have your own story to share, feel free to drop me an email at m at mnwoods.media.com.